Hi, everyone. It's Peter. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Superficial Spirit. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to ask you to take a second to review, follow, like, and share your favorite episode of The Superficial Spirit. Your support means so much to me. Also, if you see me on the street, don't be shy. Come up and say hello, okay? All right, now let's get into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Superficial Spirit, where we explore how pop culture affects our spiritual experiences. My name is Peter Breeze. Join me while we ask a very important question. What the hell did pop culture do to me? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Superficial Spirit. Got a good one for you today. Our guest today is a registered clinical counselor at Thrive Downtown Vancouver, which is a counseling center that offers, amongst other things, psychedelic integration. Coulter has been sober for more than a decade and is passionate about healing the healing properties and potential of psychedelics. Coulter, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, we've we've known each other for a while, and we recently connected at a mutual friend's, um, what was it, engagement party? It was an engagement party, party right? Yeah. Engagement party. Thank you. Uh, I'm so happy to see you there, by the way, because I never know with like, I hate to say it, straight people engagement things or wedding things. I'm always like, is there going to be other gays? I just moved back to Vancouver, and I was so happy to see you and Trevor there. I was like, yay. It was so nice. <laughs> it, was nice. it was a nice reconnection. I um and then we obviously quickly started talking about um I wasn't drinking, you weren't drinking, Trevor wasn't drinking, um Evan wasn't drinking, so recovery came up obviously. And it's always interesting because when you go back, I mean, we're at the age now where mid 30s, late 30 mid 30s, late 30s, early 40s. Like if you were a party kid in your 20, at around this time is like when people either get their shit together or they really go down maybe a not easy path, you know, like 25, 27 is tends to be the, it it really does tend to be a marker. It's that Saturn return thing, right? It's like 27. I think it's a lot harder for those habits to um, go back. That's sort of the difference between if it's like by 25, 27, I think you're growing out of it, but if it continues past that time, you're, you're developing some, um, you're developing some harder to break habits after that. I see. I see. So like, so like when you're in your late twenties, that's, this is like, when I look back, what part of it is we're young, we're, we're wild, we're wild, we're free. And then you kind of grow out of it. And I, I see what you're saying. Cause around 27, actually my 25th birthday was the first time I was like, I think maybe I should slow down on my partying. And then it took until my early thirties to really give like sobriety a shot. Um, And then recovery is not a straight line. It goes up and down. It turns around. It's different for everybody. But I don't know. I'm trying to think now why I felt like it was late thirties, early forties. I feel like I've encountering a lot of people now who I guess maybe tried the, it was a wild and crazy twenties, but now I'm good. Now I got it and it's all good. Mm -hmm. And this is like the last stop. I feel like maybe before, before it's even harder and harder, I guess. I don't know. 
I think the longer that train runs, the harder it is to to stop it. But I mean, I think you know what they say with addiction is that we just start to not um, advance or it stagnates us, right? Um, emotionally, spiritually, but that ties into our relationships, our professions. It's like we just reach a point that if we're if we're chasing the party, we're not leaving much room for other things in our life. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. I remember the first, one of the first times I, I like did a few months of sobriety when I was still living in Vancouver and it was like, I don't know, three months, four months, five months. I can't remember. And I remember telling a friend, like, I just feel like I, I can do so much. He's like, like what? Like, what have you done? And I realized I actually hadn't necessarily done that much, but I felt there was so much more space in my life to consider even doing things. So even the space being available felt like an accomplishment. Um, so yeah, that I, that definitely rings true. So Today, internal space, internal space, which yeah. when you're like wrapped up in the scene and wrapped up with partying, is like there. It's it's so hard to contemplate life without it. Um, yeah, it's an identity thing. It's a community thing. It's a sex thing. It's like to walk away is is not easy for sure. I think in the gay community, that that's been not definitely the hardest part is. Um, you know, finding it difficult to connect with groups of gay men. Um, like, how are all these people seeing, you know, know each other and look like they're getting along? And then, oh, there's like a lot of alcohol <laughs> oh, totally. involved. And not saying that that doesn't exist without alcohol, but it's that's really been my observation and experience. And so being sober, I, I mean, that's been one of the best benefits is that's when I actually started making genuine friendships um, with gay men like Trevor, you had mentioned, because I'd always felt yeah. ostracized growing up by men, and then um, getting into the gay community, it was not it was not a loving brotherhood <laughs> when I mm. when I um, broke out of the scene in Calgary, and um, yeah, I stumbled along the way, and I didn't really start making those genuine connections until alcohol left the equation. That was my story. Yeah, totally relate to that. And also the false sense of confidence that you think you have when you're when you're messed up at the club and you're like, I just remember feeling so free at first and it's so exciting. And then the longer that lifestyle goes on, the more artificial that confidence is. And then you stop drinking, you stop doing drugs and you sort of reintroduce people, those people, those relationships into your life. And you realize very quickly, holy shit. I actually don't know these people at all. I don't have anything in common with them. And they actually don't know me either. And I mm-hmm. c- had the same experience with you as the gay community is like, I-, I don't know if I expected a brotherhood, but I at least expected less judgment than the bullies in high school. But in some ways it's worse because, I mean, I don't know why it's worse, but gay men to other gay men, it can just be brutal. Like we just, we're not a big warm hug, are we? <laughs> Like, no, I, I didn't. Yeah, I, I feel like I encountered things like jealousy and competition and gossip. Yeah. Like it was just a lot of really unpleasant things. I remember going to the people I had been introduced to at the club as like a as like a friend group, and it's like, how did you, you know, how did you go get through coming out? And the answers I got were not helpful. <laughs> mm. You know, it was, it was pretty shallow, but it could have just also been the environment that I just happened to have been exposed to. But I don't know, that was like 2000 and 
uh, six in Calgary. So, I mean, there wasn't a lot of options as far as what coming out looked like at that time. No, definitely not. Oh my God. That was like the year Brittany was going through it too. There was a lot happening in the world, honey. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to bring you on to talk about psychedelics. And before we dive into this conversation around psychedelics and sobriety, I do want to preface it for anybody listening who is in recovery, whether you're brand new or been sober a million years, it is something to um, not just you know hear one conversation about maybe some success stories or some potential and dive into doing it. Because I personally, in my own life, have seen great things happen with psychedelics and sobriety and i've seen some not so good happening not so good not so good things happen with psych- psychedelics and sobriety so i just want to preface that by saying this is just a conversation between two people it's our experience colder you probably you definitely have exposure to maybe a more structured way of showing mm. psychedelics in your personal life um but yeah i i wanted to preface that before we dive in because i know when I first was like exploring sobriety and I went to 12 step meetings, the first, one of the first things I asked um, one of my, the person that was sponsoring me was what if I'm at a party and I meet Lindsay Lohan and Lindsay Lohan wants to do a line with me in the bathroom. My brain was instantly looking for loopholes. Like even if it's a one <laughs> chance in a million, one chance in a million that I'm going to meet her, I wanted to know that the possibility was open. And I think the same could be for psychedelics. Like if you're at a meeting, if you're new and you're like, oh my God, I can never drink again. I can never do drugs again. And suddenly there's this new conversation happening around psychedelics. It could be like, oh, maybe my sobriety can include this or that. So... I know we've sure. touched a little a little bit about your sobriety, but I, I'd love to hear you know how psychedelics came into your um, path, especially when it comes to maintaining sobriety. How do you define your sobriety? How did they come into your path? Give it to me, baby. It's a long. I think the only way to tell it, I think, is the the long way here. Um, but uh, yeah, like I I got sober in two thousand. Um, 12. I think I started in like 2010 and then I had my last drink in 2012. I'm 37 now. Um, and you know, I really needed, um, the black and white strictness of AA. I think, you know, I'm somebody who's always looked for loopholes as well. Um, so even I remember the first time I tried to get sober, um, I worked at a bar and I would like taste all the drinks or like have half shots to participate. So, I mean, I always had these sort of, yeah, ways to, to slip around the program. But then um, my, I, I went out one night and it was just, I did drink. I let myself drink at a pride. And one night I, oh God, I ended up getting drunk and then finding, you know, other substances to keep awake, which is my, what I had always done. And then the next night I went out drinking again and threw up in the cab on the way home. And I was like, Walter, this is, <laughs> this is how drinking always ends for you. There's no, after a year and a half of not drinking and trying it again, it was just the same thing. So, um, sobriety was, that's when I really got strict about it and my life really began to change for the better. That's when I started volunteering for the suicide crisis line. Um, then I went back to school and everything progressed from that point. And I really owe 12 steps and my sobriety to making those changes. Um, then after the pandemic, things got a little dicey for me. I was ending a three-year relationship and went into 
terrible anxiety and depression. I was really experiencing like the physical symptoms of it that I hadn't experienced before. Um, and we know that like the thing, the hormonal and the chemical and the interactions and the addiction that we get from relationships and codependency is very much um, similar to what happens in addiction. Um, and there's a lot of reasons, you know, like previous trauma kind of creates that, that scene. Um, but yeah, I was feeling really, really unwell. I was, um, doing my practicum at the time I was, um, working, I was doing my practicum at a public health center because that was my goal. I really wanted to take this master's in clinical counseling and work in an environment where I was treating people who had a diagnosis of either depression, mental health. Uh, or anxiety, mood disorders, um, schizophrenia, whatever. I thought, you know, there's really not a lot of us who are trained in being able to provide this treatment. And I want to, um, those, that's the community that I want to treat. Um, I'd also, while I was in school, um, or between my bachelor's and my master's, I was working for um, uh, uh, an Indigenous organization, and I, I was leading a harm uh Harm reduction, it was an overdose response um, coalition. So that's where I really expanded my idea of sobriety from, I, that's where I learned in doing that harm reduction work is like, I had to really challenge my beliefs about 12 steps because in the overdose crisis, you know, if someone just goes to abstinence-based recovery, they can die or um, that's when I started learning that this some of this, the 12 steps absent stuff was really harming people in the way that people were dying because there was so much guilt that if they had a relapse or if they had a slip that they wouldn't they would be excluded from recovery program and what we're dealing in a culture right now with fentanyl contaminated drugs i think when the aa literature was written we weren't talking about <laughs> things like fentanyl i mean you, these substances just didn't exist we didn't have things like um methadone and suboxone and treatment programs and understand the severity of like what happens to our addiction pathways with these types of drugs. So it opened my door to like, you know, not everybody is, has the capacity to go to a treatment program. Some people need like, some people need clean, uncontaminated drugs to survive. Mm. And that kind of, mm. that started to fall outside of the um, AA that's, that's like that, that is a huge, huge, huge consideration. Like for people who aren't in, um, 12 step have never had that experience. It is, it can be a fundamentalist group. Um, and, and for good reason, you know, it, it has helped millions of people and I, the black and white thing is great for, for telling you, listen, you, you can't do the loophole thing. This is the lane you need to stay in and challenging your beliefs around arm harm reduction must've been hard because it's not a community that, um, wants to hear, um, from my experience, wants to hear the updated information on, on, um, on addiction and recovery. Like it's, it's very much like, this is what's worked. This is why we do it. This is why you keep coming back and let's just, let's just leave it there. So that must have been hard for you to really to really challenge that. Um, I mean, I, I was just fresh out of my, my, my bachelor's in psychology. And so for me, it's more about the research. And I had done, um, I had done research papers and things on the efficacy of AA, because that was something I was interested in and exploring. Ooh. Like, yeah, how, why does AA work? And the research that I gathered was like, it is extremely accessible. 
It's free. Yep. There's not a hierarchical yep. um, power structure. Mm-hmm. When I'm working with clients and you know, thinking about self-care and the ways that we do work with substance use, you could not create a better program than AA. Mm. It's got mm. your self-care. It's got your, 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 your spirituality. It's got mentorship. It's got a place that you can go to every day of the week. Um, yep. to replace it, it provides you with community it's accessible it's free like it is so incredible and i think it has a great great place and i think i owe my life to it in many ways and i did need that black and whiteness but then yeah when i reached that depression and that anxiety there was one thing the one thing that was not serving me well was the idea of and this might have been my own interpretation of the program but what I had always done was this idea of amends, of keeping my side of the street clean. You know, I was in this relationship where I was kind of apologizing all the time <laughs> and just keeping my side of the street clean and just taking everything on myself. Mm. And, and um, you know, and I think I probably created a, a sense of the relationship that wasn't even real, that maybe if I had spoken or set some boundaries earlier on and not always apologized. I think we could have had a maybe more <laughs> egalitarian <laughs> relationship, but that's sort of the, the message that I got from AA. So it was just like, Oh, I just have to adapt. I just have to pray, go to more meetings. Um, and then I try to adapt to the situation. And then I, um, out of desperation went on antidepressants. Um, and because that's sort of an acceptable medication in AA it really depends on who you talk to. So there's people divided on that, but you know, I was working with clients in the public health system who were all on antidepressants and medications. And I was like, well, this is kind of, I guess what you do. So mm-hmm. I did go on, I did go on the antidepressants. I went for about six weeks. Um, they were very helpful in being functional, mm-hmm. but you know, not, not helpful necessarily in connecting to, my heart or what I consider to be kind of like my, my spiritual presence presence, which I'd gotten and learned about in AA, but uh, I just felt like there was a fog or a veil that was disconnecting me from life. And so I stopped taking them. Um, I'd lost my motivation on them. Um, and then when I stopped taking them yet, yeah, some anxiety came back, but I also was myself again. Mm. Um, but still, I wasn't right. I was having just a lot of rumination and just feeling quite fractured, not being able to make any appropriate decision. It was, it was really, it was really like a depressive episode and um, out of desperation. Again, I tried psychedelics. I tried microdosing. My, my ex had taken me to the store and cause he wasn't programmed and uh <laughs> I tried them and I was really scared that I I was really scared that I was breaking my sobriety and that this is something that I would have to come clean to my sponsor about and what would happen. Um, But I took, I took a hundred milligrams, little capsule. I took some pre-workout. I went to the gym. Of mushrooms? Of mushrooms. Yeah. And my, my mind cleared. I felt so much gratitude and hope again about my situation. I was able to kind of like, forgive myself, forgive my ex, look at the relationship from a, from a different lens. And I was just, and then once I had that relief of happiness, the, the ball started rolling back in the other way where I was just, Mm. it was, and it was just such a relief to not be depressed. Like I had been for four months that I was able to like click out of that. And that microdose, um, 
sort of opened the door. And then I started doing it um, a little bit more regularly. And I, I came out of that depression. And then just randomly, I found this clinic. I was actually seeing a therapist here for just, just personal reasons. Um, and then I found out that they did the psychedelic integration and the therapist I was working with was like, maybe you should contact uh, <laughs> the director here. And I was also doing my other practicum site was in group trauma um, therapy for the, it's the kind that they specialize doing with veterans who are returning from wow. um, it, for, who are traumatized and, and are recovering from deployment. And so I was doing that work as well. And um, the direct, the director there also referred me to this clinic because a lot of the men who set up thrive um, were doing this work with veterans and, and trauma work. So they just happened to wow. move into the psychedelic integration as well. And it all, it, the stars just all lined up and now I'm doing work, which is much more authentic to my experience. I really wanted to do public health. I really believed in it, but this, it's just not, authentic and integral and one thing i would just before i forget the 12 steps like it is weird because you've got these permissions to use doctor prescribed medications like clonazepam ativan antidepressants i see psychedelics as an alternative yeah. to that um, yeah. so that's where i justify it and that's where it makes sense I'll, the, the big distinction for me is i think this is really important is that there's that drugs our street drugs, party drugs, and a lot of prescriptions, they give you this immediate relief. You know, if we take an Ativan that's prescribed, it's going to ease our anxiety, but we are going to have a withdrawal and the anxiety is going to come back because we haven't dealt with the root issue. Same with drinking, Coke, whatever we're taking, immediate relief followed by um, an after effect, a withdrawal. Psychedelics are completely opposite where you take if you if you think that you're going to party or numb out on a psychedelic, you're going to get really front loaded or confronted with emotions. So that's the thing is with the psychedelics, we're being front loaded with anxiety, discomfort. We're facing the emotions we've been avoiding. Um, so if you're an addiction, if you just take a bunch of a handful of mushrooms, you're going to have a bad time. I did. I hated mushrooms when I was in addiction. I couldn't understand why anybody took them. But then. I find it, it makes you confront whatever you've been avoiding and then you get this relief or aha moment or release and you get to keep that. Um, so that's where I see them as being opposite where, you know, other substances that are addictive, we have immediate relief and then a withdrawal yeah. psychedelics, we have the discomfort up front and then we have the relief after. That is so true. That is so, 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 so true. Um, I often feel like when I was growing up, I loved smoking pot and I was like, I loved the feeling. It was so good. And then when I moved into the club scene and started doing chemical drugs, I couldn't do pot anymore. Like I couldn't do pot. I know people laugh when I say that. I couldn't. Um, it had a very different effect. And when um, we started exploring microdosing, I was so scared because I did not want that experience. I did ayahuasca. Yeah, it was like um, a lot of anxiety and stuff like that. But um, it's such a good way that you articulated that is party drugs, alcohol. It's an instant relief followed by anxiety. And psychedelics is not like even if you're trying to do them in a social setting, like I'm going to go dancing, I'm going to take mushrooms. It doesn't um, guarantee that just because you're in a social setting, you're going to have that fun, loose um, experience. Like you oftentimes, can't control it. They control it. Yeah. They 
they, they, they give you what you need. Yeah. It's an unpredictable, unpredictable experience. Whereas like drinking drugs, whatever your drug is tend to be very predictable. I know if I do this amount, I'm going to get this experience. And that's, I guess, what is so appealing about them. We're right? in our will. We're trying to control. We're trying to avoid an emotion. Like I remember going up partying and being like, oh, I got a little bit of a cold. I've worked like 12 hours. So I'm going to drink this much more and snort this much more so that I can not feel this. Yeah. <laughs> so no, thank you. All, all the, and those are all the, and those can be behaviors too. It can be substances or behaviors that we're doing to avoid our emotions, avoid what our body is telling us. And I find psychedelics has been helpful in me learning what my emotions are, helping me use my emotions as a compass for my self care. When I microdose, things that feel good to me feel really good. The music I listen to sounds incredible. If a country song comes on, I'm pissed. You know, it's when, I, when something happens that I don't like on mushrooms, I'm really miserable. So it's helped me kind of, um, it, it helps me um, calibrate to knowing myself, what feels good for me, stretching, healing my body, how good that feels when I microdose and just listening to what my body is trying to tell me. So you mentioned um, the first time you did the first microdose pill, you got like an instant moment of like, holy shit, this is what I need to do. When was that? Um, that was in like July 2000, two years ago. 2000, two years ago? Okay. Yeah. Um, crazy that you had that instant immediate like effect of um, helping you get that clarity. And it makes sense that you would follow this path. I mean, the obvious question that people are probably wanting to know is like, you know, we talked about loopholes, we talked about that at the beginning. And um, the way you describe it is makes perfect sense. It's confronting your emotions, it's healing, you're microdosing, you're not macrodosing, it's not like a party thing, but it's a mind altering substance. So I think you've done a good job of articulating up until now, why, where psychedel psychedelics mm -hmm. fall for you personally. But there has to be a line for people who struggle with addiction when it comes to these things. Like, is it is it yeah. something that everybody can do? Like, have you seen compulsive behaviors emerge because of this? Good question. I would say, and when I'm working with clients, so at Thrive, the, the thing is, is that psychedelics are not legal, nor are they decriminalized, but we have dispensaries. People can buy them without consequence. We also have, you know, therapeutic research on the benefits of psychedelics. So what we're doing is that people are choosing to use psychedelics as for therapeutic reasons. We have the experience and are following the best practices to help inform people. And just like, so for example, antidepressants have a good, you know, good, I think 20, 50% outcome on their own therapy, same. You add antidepressants and therapy together, you get 80% better outcomes. Mm -hmm. Psychedelics, same thing as how I would see it is like psychedelics on their own. Good therapy on its own. Good. Combine the two together. Um, yeah. you're going to get much better experiences out of it. Um, so is it for everybody? Um, I, when I'm working with clients and addiction, I consider it to be quite a high barrier intervention, high barrier, meaning, um, I wouldn't recommend it until you've already done therapy. You've maybe done mm. some step work. You've done some introspection, you know, it's kind of like, 
an analogy I would use is like you're not going to take you're not going to take um, steroids when you first start going to the gym. <laughs> You know, if, you, if you've worked out a bunch and you're at a plateau, then you might add something. You to need it. you need you need a foundation. You, you need, need foundation. to like yeah, yeah yeah. So you want to take yeah. I, I love that analogy. It's such a gay guy thing, like steroids <laughs> for my straight listeners. They're like, what does he mean by that? <laughs> I mean, basically, yeah. like if you start taking steroids today, you're not just going to get muscles. You need to be right. able to um, have a routine. It has to be part of your lifestyle. You need to have yeah. a good diet. And then once you've changed your body, it's part of your lifestyle. You want to go that step further. The same with psychedelics. Like if you go in from active addiction straight to psychedelics, it's it's going to be probably messy and not – you may get some insight. You may get some – um, you know, aha moments, those those lightning rods of clarity, but the chances of it having a long-term effect and being able to integrate would be lower because you're, you don't have the tools to understand what, what it means. It's like, so this is best practices, safest ways. This is what I would recommend the people that I'm working with. I mean, but honestly, a, a microdose of 100, 200 milligrams in that small amount, you know, if you, if you're, want to use it as part of your recovery program i don't think that the i don't think that first of all there is no the side effects for psychedelics are very minimal the the biggest um uh, the, the, the biggest concerns would be if somebody has a history of themselves or family member having bipolar or schizophrenia there is a risk that i have seen with people that um using psychedelics can trigger a manic or schizophrenic episode okay so that's a really big consideration. You see a lot of people in addiction might have had psychotic breaks or things like that. So we want to be cautious there. Um, my sense, when I've talked to people who have schizophrenia in their family, if you want to take a spiritual lens um, from people I've talked to personally, I get the sense that some of us already have that door to that world open. And so if we're looking at schizophrenia, not from like a mental health diagnosis, um, uh, lens, but more from like, okay, what's going on spiritually with this person that maybe they're open or they're more sensitive to, to energy or whatever it is that then maybe they don't need psychedelics, but they can tap into that side of themselves with breath work, meditation or other practices. This is an interesting point. I had somebody on my show years ago. Um, he worked at CAMH in um, Toronto center for addiction and mental health. And he had done an article for CBC about the difference between a spiritual awakening and um, a psychotic break, essentially. And he said, it's really interesting because a lot of people ride that line. You know, there are people who are in psychosis who think that they're talking to God and it's and it's not. And that's a sign of, you know, danger zone. You need to get yourself help or grounded or whatever you need to do. But there are people who are truly having a spiritual moment, but is is also maybe showing signs of like is this real is it not so it's interesting that you say that because um i know people listening will be like well you know schizophrenia schizophrenia is a disease you can't look at it spiritually that's that would be um irresponsible right like uh, approaching something like that spiritually is leading that person to danger i hear what you're saying though is like you know, is there something more to it that maybe we can consider to to round out the way that we're helping these people who are experiencing reality in a very, very different way? Why not approach it spiritually? 
right? In, 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 in my work, um, I work very much in like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is evidence-based. It's the most like cognitive research, clinical pretty practice of counseling that you can do. And then working with psychedelics, I'm also on this very like mystical spiritual side because psychedelics do, um, yeah, the, 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 the clinical term is mystical experience or awe experiences of connectedness. So that's how we <laughs> classify it. So you're working <laughs> with this, this sort of spiritual uh, mystical element and um, clinical evidence-based approach. And I find for me where I get the most inspired is where I see these two things overlap. So, you know, mm. whether it's looking at research or working at like clinical, just behavior consequences, results, and then look, and then listening to somebody like Abraham Hicks talk about the law of attraction, I can see how these two are not incompatible with each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm, 12 mm-hmm. steps has this spiritual approach. But like I said, you couldn't create a better like um, behavioral plan for just showing up um, and socializing with a bunch of people at these very accessible meetings. Both overlap very well. I think too, with anything um, like AA too, I remember one of my, one of my beefs was, and still something I struggle with is somebody's getting arrested near you. The police are coming to take Coulter away as we speak live on the superficial spirit. Um, sirens. Okay. They're passed. Um, one thing I was thinking about as you were explaining that, because I've talked a lot about Abraham Hicks on my show, a lot about sobriety, a lot about 12 steps. And what I always come back to is you can go into these spaces and not agree with everything 100%. And you can take what works for you and you can leave the rest. Like, I remember my big beef with A is like, why do I have to? every single damn day of my life, raise my hand and say I'm an alcoholic when I've been sober for a year, when I've been sober for two years, when I've been sober for two and a half years, which is my longest. Um, I really had a problem with that. And then, you know, by doing the steps, one, two, and, th- one, two, and three, you have your spiritual awakening um, or, or you, you start that um, journey of seeking out your higher power. I realized if that's the only problem that I have and everything else is working, then why don't I just do it and not think mm-hmm. about it and, and take what works for me? And it was great. Like I, I uh, relate to what you said about how like the steps changed my life. They took me in a new direction. I learned so many new things about myself. I got a, I, I, I got a new career. Like I became there. I mean, I could talk for a long time about all the benefits of it. It, it really is a great program for, for that. Um, and same with, uh, manifesting there are so many examples of bullshit manifestors these stupid life coaches and these <laughs> these like crazy psychics who are telling you how to manifest money but they can't pay their rent but if you can read these books and and there is something about that that rings true to you that there is maybe something about the universe that we can connect to that helps shape our future then take that and just do whatever you want with it. It doesn't have to be Abraham Hicks. It doesn't have to be Oprah or Deepak or anybody. Um, what's his name? Who wrote um, um, A New Earth? What's his name? E- Eckhart Tolle. But you can take what you like. And, you, and same with psychedelics. Maybe it's not something you do all the time, but you can you can have a little bit of that magic and incorporate it into your life. And I think where people get get um, 
um, maybe hurt or disillusioned is by putting all of their eggs in a basket and thinking that this one thing is going to solve my problems. I just manifest perfectly mm. to become a star. If I can do enough psychedelic drugs, I'm ne I'm never going to have any anxiety or negative thoughts. If I can, you know, be the best AA person in the world and stay sober forever, I'll never have any problems. That's not realistic. There is no there is no one solution for everything unless you consider God, which I personally do. And like the idea of surrender, which I have found is constantly the one thing that can always save me. But um, yeah, that's what I was thinking about when I was listening to you is like, you, you you can incorporate all these things and and maybe putting everything in one basket is can be eh, maybe a little risky. It's interesting. Yeah, the surrender, like psychedelics very much help us if, with nothing else but surrender. Surrendering to the experience. If we have resistance, to the experience, we're going to have a bad time <laughs> where it really teaches you to surrender to your emotion, to surrender to whatever is blocking you there, surrender to what your body is telling you. Um, yeah, we're, I think that's bring us so much into the moment. Um, I find I'm really present with it. One thing I found about 12 steps or just self-help culture in general is like, you're always working towards the next version of yourself. I mm. like you were saying, like, if I do this, I'll be this. If you do this, I'll be yeah. this. The law of attraction doesn't say that. The law of attraction says, no. believe it, you already have it. Yeah. And with the psychedelics, I feel like on something like a microdose, I'm already in it. I'm totally experiencing what it's like to be in the moment. And it's, as you say, like, there's all these different teachers, Deepak and Eckhart, like, but they all practice yeah. being in the moment. There's so much yes. of this all overlaps. Yeah, totally in the moment. Um, and I remember like manifesting. I, I, I when I when I first heard about the concept, I was like, Oh my god, this is what I've been doing my whole life. It totally makes sense. But then I was too aware of my thoughts that I would like spiral. I was like, What am I thinking about? Oh my god, is that good or is it bad? <laughs> and now it's like, you know, I put my intention out. I know the things that I want, and then I let it go, and I meditate, and I surrender, and I, you know, I'm. It's a constant like dance and engagement um, with God or with the universe. And I think psychedelics. Um, would be the same. I, I, I'm curious to know what you think about, you know, doing psychedelics in a clinical setting or with, you know, a guide or a shaman versus somebody, you know, going out on Friday night and deciding to do MDMA um, to connect to their higher, um, higher self or doing some mushrooms on the weekend to have a healing experience. Like, is there a difference between doing them socially and on your own versus doing them with somebody yeah. like you? Yeah, huge. Because um, I have, um, so I have done, um, you know, uh, ceremonies and um, psychedelic journeys, um, which is different than integration work. I mean, integration work with a therapist is like debriefing, preparing, supporting the client on, on their psychedelic journey versus like um, doing a journey or a ceremony. Um, mm -hmm. so when I'm doing that, uh, when I'm doing ceremonies or journeys, um, what was the, what was the question? Just, is there a difference between doing oh, it yeah. socially or doing it? Yeah. With a, with a, yeah. So when you're doing it intentionally and you're doing it therapeutically and you've, you're, you're taking a certain amount and you've set an attention, the psychedelic is going to listen to you again, whether this is some like 
mystic magic mushroom or it's working with the opening up the unconscious of your brain chemistry again i think both these things can be compatible um mm -hmm. it's listening to what you want and then you're working through it so if the intention is i want to take a little bit uh, or i want to take some socially and have a good time um then you're going to be with friends you're going to be distracted you're having an outer experience that's um that's involves visuals um and being social but when you're doing it therapeutically um we recommend like eyes closed blindfold headphones is what the john hopkins studies what? have done and so people are going through this inward journey so without <gasps> the stimulation of like the the lights and people you you're you're looking at your intention internally what's going on all in here so that can be a very whoa very different experience. i had no idea that that's what it was mm -hmm. i had holy shit okay yeah mm -hmm. definitely have never done that um <laughs> okay interesting yeah. wow i want to try that now um totally different experience yes what do you uh, i want to talk now a little bit about um so wait, wait, just to like round out that conversation. Sure. Socially, what you're saying is like, chances are if you're doing a psychedelic socially or on your own because you're curious, there is potential for healing because it works with where you're at mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And there's no reason why you can't have a profound experience. It Clinically, it's more guided. It, it's more it's more your intention and the setting. And again, I mean, I think that that's the value of working with a therapist who has experience and stuff talk about um maybe somebody does want to do microdosing or they want to use it socially or they want to use it therapeutically then um yeah talking to somebody it doesn't have to be a therapist even other people who have experience or who do this work as a practice um mm -hmm. can be helpful to to set intentions and, and yeah i think it's it, it, if and if you go to like other again from a, from a spiritual practice these are sacraments you know and maybe all substances really can be um sacraments mm -hmm. that we respect and use intentionally and there was times i think Ooh. the best nights that i had drinking were nights that um our friend alex barbie that we, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we we drank a lot together and sometimes there was nights where we did set intentions at the beginning of like okay how much are we going to drink and what do we want to have happen tonight and what do we want to manifest from this evening and those nights would generally be better <gasps> this is a really interesting segue. I used to do this with a friend. Um, okay, two things. One, um, Evan used to see somebody named Odin, Odin the Seer. He's a witch. He lives in Ireland now. Um, and he used to say, like, this is when I was like Club Kid Central, and he was like, <laughs> There is nothing innately wrong with alcohol and drugs. It's what you're you're using them for, right? And if you find power and magic and inspiration in going out and doing it, and it truly is giving you a fulfilling experience, then who's to say don't do it, right? The the danger zone is like having absolute clarity on that. So that's one thing. It was a really interesting um, topic at that point to consider. Like, okay, like nightlife was for so long, such, um, such a magical place for me because I felt like it was the incubator for my dreams and it was where mm -hmm. everything was going to happen. And alcohol and drugs were a part of that, right? So I didn't see anything bad with it for a very, very long time. Um, so that's one thing interesting for anybody to consider, like, are you using it in this sacrament kind of way? Are you, are you engaging in it or is it problematic? That's one thing. The second is 
my friend Jordy and I used to pray to Dionysus, who is the god of partying, yes. when we had no money. And we would go to the club and we were like, please get us fucked up. Like, get us drinks, get us drugs, get us boys. And every time, man, I got home at seven in the morning and I was like, holy shit, that was a night. So yeah, you can, like, there's so much, um, I guess... There's a lot of, when you think about spirituality and you think of like your higher self, a lot of people think of like good things like health, wellness, sunshine, light, health, like all of these things. But there is dark power to that as well. Like you can use all of that energy and channel it into whatever you want. Um, I think it's an interesting, interesting thing. I think, yeah, accepting and making friends with some of the the darkness that we have within ourselves yeah, and not, not judging it. You know, we're all capable of good and bad. <laughs> and yeah. I think that once we, once we get to know sort of our, our shadowy self, which like Carl Jung would say is, um, I think then we have more compassion for ourselves, And we also have more compassion for the, the shadows of other people. And totally. I've, I've, I've learned a little bit of that through, through psychedelics as well as actually getting really comfortable. Like an example would be, I used to go to, this is sort of a gay thing, but you know how gay people are really good in customer service. I was a bartender. Yeah. You see, you know, you see, I always think of um, in White Lotus, the guy who works at the hotel. He's got this yes. like, people pleasing, like yeah, they're yeah, so good yeah. at putting the mask on. And then he retreats into his office for all the darkness. Yeah. And I thought that was just such a good example of like what we experience as gay men is like having that acceptable, likable, non-threatening, happy part of us, but then dealing with the, with the mask underneath. And I think that that's why a lot of us go to drinking is because being ourselves is really difficult and it's a lot easier to have the face on with alcohol. Um, but with psychedelics, I found, or just in my own practice, I've gotten to really accept that I don't have to wear that face anymore. I can be mm. authentic. I can show up and I'm allowed to be a little bit cunty if I want. I don't have to be rude, <laughs> um, but I'm, al I'm allowed to have my emotions. And I remember, I think, you know, the last product I went to, or the, the year before, I remember I would see if, if, if guys weren't like happy and bubbly or kind of had like that stiff face, I would be like, what's their problem? Why don't they like me? And then mm. I was like, oh, that's, they're fine. That's yeah. you feeling like everybody owes you a smile. <laughs> like <laughs> you're, you're allowed to have, you're allowed to be whatever you want to be. And so yeah. are they, and you, and there, yeah. you don't have to be offended. And now when I see people who look a little bit cunty, I feel like, you know, good for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I was just talking to Derek about this on my last episode. Um, like, like that has nothing to do with you, bitch. Yeah. Like if you're walking into a room thinking everyone's judging you, you need to go to a therapist, not a different party. Um, damn. I, and there I, is, yeah. there is so much judgment of, yeah, gays do that to each other of like, oh, who do they think they are? Or they've got this, I don't know, face on, but it's like, no, oh, they're, fuck. they're allowed to be, we're all, and you, and you are too. You're allowed to not always yes. have the fake smile and laugh. People always thought I was so full of myself all the time um, because I was just so self-obsessed. But it was a creative thing. Like I was trying to be a star and I was very focused on myself. And then they would talk to me and they'd be like, oh my God, you're so much nicer than I thought. And again, it's like assuming that somebody who is out there and doing their thing is 
is just like selfish and has no feelings and is egotistical is not necessarily true. Mind you, to become a star, you do have to have some ego. But um, yeah, I think it's a good point just to remind yourself that somebody's the way somebody looks and their expression on their face probably has nothing to do with you unless you're doing something directly to them to aggravate. Yeah, um, the stories that we make up in our head, like that's all our, yeah, that's all our self-reflection of how I feel. I want to talk about MDMA because you know what, this thing, this is like, the, this. I, I, I feel like psychedelics are psychedelics and, and, and like party drugs are party drugs. And I think that MDMA is in the middle. And totally. I feel like out of all the psychedelics, the one that has the highest potential to open the door to take you back to other drugs would be MDMA for a lot of reasons. One, it's chemical. Two, it's used in nightclubs and party settings. It's used for sex and intimacy, especially by gay men. Um, and and I, I, when I hear about people using psychedelics, that's the one thing that I'm like, I don't know about that. I don't know, honey, if like going dancing and doing MDMA is a healing experience. I know that it feels that way, but is it opening the door for other things? So I, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Where does MDMA sit for you in, in the realm of psychedelics uh, having healing potential? Yeah, I mean, I have experienced it. Um, I've experienced it therapeutically and I've experienced it recreationally. Um, it's... It's interesting. I mean, I was just having this conversation um, with with staff here of like what are what are thoughts on that. Were it's funny because I do see it as being um, it's having that immediate gratification or that immediate relief, yeah. and then it and then it has um, it does have a hangover which you need to mm-hmm. recover from. Sometimes, you know, I have heard and I have experience too using it in a therapeutically intentional way. Um, and using like a, a, a certain amount and then going home and sleeping and taking care of yourself and then not having really a hangover. Mm. Um, but if you're using it in like a party recreational way, um, it can go, it can go the other way pretty quickly. I think. So again, it's about intention. I think psychedelically I, in my practice, I find when I'm taking larger amounts of mushrooms or a psychedelic substance, it takes me to this, this is my personal experience. It takes me to sort of like this different dimensional place. And I know what that place is like. I'm just floating completely in the present. I've, I've shifted over into that other, into my psychedelic self. Um, MDMA does not take me to that place, Mm. but I think it does have, some therapeutic ketamine is another one that they're using therapeutically. Yeah. Yes. So they're, they're, they're like, yeah, they're borderline. I think that each person is allowed to have their own personal relationship with each substance. Yeah. That's kind that's of what point. I would take away from myself. And I've kind of learned what my individual, like I will never, I don't plan on drinking ever again. I know my relationship with that substance. It's not serving me anything for me. Um, but there are substances that, yeah, that I would say I have a different relationship with. I'm still waiting them for them to find the um, healing properties of cocaine in Hollywood, honey, <laughs> in the Hollywood Hills. <laughs> I don't know if it was ever used to. I, I, I think for like teeth numbing for babies. I think. <laughs> but was... then they have listen. They have Adderall, which I'm sorry. 
ain't that different than doing a huge fat line. <laughs> Sorry, trigger warning. I I I consider cocaine to be maybe a bit low vibrational. Sort of, oh fuck yeah! Uh, I would. <laughs> it's primal. It's like it's like yeah it, yeah mm. totally. I that was just a joke. I I don't think there's any healing. Although I mean, let's see. I mean, I think there can be experience as a, open you up and maybe whatever. Sure, any drug can 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 provide an experience that may be helpful in some ways. Yes. Um. Not math. I don't yeah. think it would. Uh, I don't think it falls into that. See, this is yeah. This is this is why, like, going back to what we were talking about earlier, is like is having something be a sacrament and being um, sacred and and magical is like the 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 danger with saying something like that and is like somebody could be listening and being like, well, for me, meth is X Y Z. For me, heroin is X Y Z, and um, that's why these conversations are so you have to be so careful and it's not your responsibility yeah. and it's not my responsibility to make those decisions. But as a podcaster, we have to put that, you know, asterisk of like, this sure. is not, this is just two people talking. This is not life advice. And if you are going to do it, you need to really think about it because well, yeah. As, as a therapist, um, harm reduction would have like, there's, there's sort of that movement that, um, especially with the overdose crisis is like people have the autonomy of their own, use and what that looks like for them and that we want to also be moving away from this substance judgment place yes where like if you totally. you know like you said if you're a celebrity using cocaine like that's acceptable but if you're um if you're um not if you don't have housing and you're on the street and and using a, an opioid then that's a problematic but if you're using yeah. like if you're using heroin versus using um painkillers you know, depending on your socioeconomic status, there's a different stigma around that too, when both might be recovering from a back injury. Exactly. It's so fucking crazy. I love this conversation. There's so, the, the, the drug story and the way that society reacts to them t says a lot about who we are and what we value and what we deem as appropriate or inappropriate. Um, We're all doing, we've all, we all have a relationship with substances. I mean, maybe some subsex of people avoid caffeine and everything together. But for the most part, I mean, we're all using either substances that are stigmatized or not stigmatized. Or, or, and then it depends on the setting and the person. Mm -hmm. It's quite compliment. Going back to AA, I mean, I really, you know, that, that was, it was created in a time where a lot of the substances today weren't used or discovered. Um, and you also had, was it, was it Bill or Bob who Bill. thought, oh, uh, thought that know. psychedelics should be, um, he used psychedelics. And yeah, he, he did. The program, but he thought that used as a spiritual intention, that would be the next part of the recovery. Um, and yeah. get talked about too much, but how interesting would that have been if, if another chapter of AA had have developed in that direction? Oh God, there's so many things that could benefit from like re-evaluating some of this <laughs> stuff. Like we also didn't have language for a lot of the mental struggles that people have and yeah. mood disorders and sexuality. Like everything in the book is also like a man and his wife, a man and his wife, you know, it's like very heteronormative. Um, I know there's meetings that are queer focused and they can, you know, adjust, but yeah, things are changing so quickly. And I'm so curious where the psychedelic is this whole commercialization accessibility like it's happening quickly 
Um, I'm so glad that you came on to chat about it. I want I want to come do something with you. I, I need to do the blindfold thing. Put on the blindfold, put on the <laughs> earplugs, and see what happens. That's a little nerve wracking. Oh, yeah. God. So, so so for I guess in the last couple of minutes, I would, I would for people who want to start again, I would say um, if you you want to want to have a practice of self care or self exploration, which looks like therapy, reading journaling podcast whatever you're doing to already be kind of on that journey of taking care of yourself and then maybe what i would start with is you can get capsules of like 100 milligrams 200 milligrams starting low um on the internet they'll you'll see lots of different protocols for like how and when i tell mm. people maybe try starting with a small amount a couple days a week leave some space in your calendar that day, take it and then just do what feels good and expect that maybe a little bit of discomfort or restlessness is going to be a part of that experience. Um, but I think it's more important that just we as the individual develop the relationship with it. And then when we get comfortable at a hundred, maybe take a little bit higher, see how that feels in your body. Um, and go from there with the microdosing a couple of days a week. We don't want to take it every day because we'll build a tolerance. So you want to give it a little bit of space in between, whether it's a day or two days. Um, I take it twice a week. I take, um, I do maybe like yoga. I love doing yoga. I love moving mm. my body on it. I also like going to the gym and listening to like really hard style dance music. And that just puts me in my happy place. But if that's not your happy place, it's probably <laughs> <laughs> do what makes you, you'll do what you enjoy with, um, with the microdose and sort of develop that relationship with yourself. If you're wanting to do higher dose, no more. And after you've gotten comfortable with the microdosing, I would say no more than a gram by yourself. And if you're wanting to do a gram and you're wanting to have that sort of therapeutic journey experience, you definitely want to have someone sit with you. I would be happy to sit with you, Peter. Um, okay. And you want to preferably somebody sit for you who has had um, that experience themselves. So I'm only going to work or support with clients uh, on things that I have personally done myself. Um, so same thing here, just like yeah, uh, sponsorship. <laughs> somebody who's already, already walked through the process um, to be able to, to guide you through that. Um, yeah, with the intention, but no more than a gram, I would say, unless you've got somebody else who's experienced with you. I was going to ask what your advice was for um, anybody listening, but you just you just gave it. I think this is great. I'll post your, um, if you're comfortable, your Instagram totally. or whatever, yeah. so people can reach out to you if they have questions. This is a topic we'll continue to explore on the show because I'm super curious about it. Um, I want to hear the good, the bad, the ugly, because you know everything is dual. Not everything is everything. Everything is everything. Everything is everything. You can quote me on that. Um, thank you for being here, Coulter. Um, thank you for sharing your experience. And I will. we will be doing mushrooms together very soon. Maybe I'll do it live on the podcast. Right. <laughs> 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 Maybe not. Okay, I'll the stop second there. time. Okay.